Pushkin. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. I've interviewed many successful people over the years, and one thing I find fascinating is many of them don't consider themselves business savvy. Take the owners of Tight Knit Brewing. They turn to Chase for Business for everything from banking and payment acceptance to credit cards and do all of it in one place with the Chase mobile app. And that's helped these brew-loving friends turn a passion into a business. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A., member FDIC. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. This is Talk Easy. I'm Sam Fragoso. Welcome to the show. Today, I'm joined by a basketball player and broadcaster, Candace Parker. Since being drafted into the WNBA in 2008, Parker has been a premier player in the league. Two MVPs, two Olympic gold medals, a five-time All-Star. She's also been instrumental in the WNBA's growth, in part because of her ability to do a little bit of everything. In 2019, she became an analyst for NBA games on TNT. This year, she became the first woman featured on the cover of NBA 2K, a wildly popular video basketball game for those unfamiliar. And most recently, she became the host of a new podcast called Moments with Candace Parker, a 10-episode series about navigating the highs, lows, triumphs, and challenges of parenthood. You can find her new show, wherever you are listening to this podcast right now. All of these endeavors have increased visibility, not just for Parker, but the sport she represents. As you know, with the Olympics this summer, there's been a lot of dialogue around professional athletes and mental health. I thought Parker was especially qualified to discuss this subject as someone who's been in the WNBA for over a decade. But we also discuss the unique economics of being a female athlete, how she's balanced basketball and motherhood, the enduring legacy of her coach, the late Pat Summit, and a whole lot more. 
even if you are not as obsessed with basketball as I am, I have a feeling you'll find something in Parker's remarkable story. I hope you enjoy. Candace Parker, nice to meet you. Very nice to meet you as well. Thanks for having me. Can we start with how are you doing right now in this moment? <laughs> I'm doing great. Are you laughing at me or the question? I don't know. I'm not laughing at you. <laughs> I would never do that. You can laugh at me. I love the question. I don't think we ask each other enough like how we're doing at this moment. I'm doing well. Like I'm in my my place in Chicago. I have enjoyed the summer thus far. A little under the weather, so I'm healing. Yeah, I'm good. Well, my goal by the end of this podcast is to make you feel like 2% better. I love that. Right before we started recording, I made my way over to your Twitter account. I wasn't going to do this, but then I thought, let me just see what's going on here. And this past week, the NBA free agency has opened up. For people unfamiliar, which is many people who listen to the show, it's a period in the offseason where players are signed to teams with new contracts. With that you wrote this tweet that I just want to kind of play and, and, and sit with here. Do you want to read it for us? Beyonce's If I Was a Boy, playing in the background as I watch all their free agency contracts come out. <laughs> Listen, I think all of us are looking at some of the news and just thinking about what if, you know, what, what if. <laughs> that, that, that was the most diplomatic response. You know, I, I called my dad because my I have two older brothers. And so, you know, he was the main one that wanted a girl. And so I was really just angry at him. Like, look what you did. <laughs> like, we could, I didn't ask for this. No, I'm kidding. Honestly, listen, I know how much energy and effort goes into it. I think all of us, you know, always want more, but not complaining. I mean, obviously, my brother played in the league for years. I understand how much practice and how much energy and how many sacrifices. So I'm honestly extremely excited for these guys. But I also am looking at my 6'4 frame, my versatility, and I'm saying that it probably would translate. Like, I'd probably be 6'10", 6'11", with handles. You know, I'd take a little KG, little Kevin Garnett, little Kevin Durant mixed together. That's what I envision. <laughs> I can see that for you. Alternate universe. See, there's two two big things here. I think most people don't understand the economics of being a professional woman basketball player. And, and you've said that playing in the WNBA is basically my part-time job, which sounds inconceivable on top of being a mother. It's also reminiscent of the conditions of professional athletes in the 50s and 60s, where you'd have players playing their sport in the fall and spring. And then come summer, they pick up a bartending job or a landscaping gig. Can you walk us through what being a professional athlete entails for you? Well, being a professional female athlete, you know, when I came into the league, I think everybody dreams of getting drafted and I was no different. I think the switch happened from me wanting to aspire to be in the NBA in 97 and the WNBA started. So you have that switch, you want to be, you know, you landed your dream job and then you get there and you realize, you know, you got to go overseas to really make a living. I, I think all of us aren't shy in sharing that I played in Russia for six years and I think rookie scale, my, my contract was probably 15 to 20 times my rookie contract 
to go overseas. So I think just looking at that, it kind of can paint the picture that it is, you know, this is something that we're doing to grow the game. Now, yes, there are endorsements that come with it. You know, I'm blessed to be with Adidas for as many years as I've been with them. Gatorade, Capital One, number of endorsements that come from playing sports. Um, but the reality for a number of us are we go overseas and we play 12 months out of the year, April to October in the WBA, and then October to April overseas. I think that's the first time Capital One has got a plug on this show in five years. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I'm drinking out of a mug. Capital One mug. Moving past the mug, you've mentioned gratitude twice already. Does that come from your father? Because I know growing up, he would tell you about his experiences playing basketball in a segregated high school during the late 60s. I'm very close with my dad. I think if I were to go back to one single memory with him, it is our love for history. I can probably recite to you the black and white history channel. We've watched every war in black and white. We've watched every documentary. And it comes from that understanding of your past you know, to know and to celebrate all the things that you've accomplished up until this point. Not to say that we need to take things as they are now, but I think it first started with understanding like where we came from as people, but then also within basketball. Like I am a basketball historian. I understand that like my dad telling me these stories about how he was part of the kids that desegregated Joliet West and the riots that happened at a school and he was the first class that played varsity from a freshman before you had to sit out your freshman year and just play sophomore, junior, senior. And he was the first one that was able to play varsity at the University of Iowa. He's telling me about how like some of the crowds would throw coins at them and quarters and they would bend over and pick them up, you know, and just those type of conversations that I've had over and over with my dad. It doesn't make me less motivated to change things today, but it also... It makes me understand like where we came from and how grateful I am for those before us that even let us know how it was. You know, the tweet that I sent, and it's a joke, it's a joke, but in the 90s, women's basketball isn't or wasn't what it is now. And I hope, I have a 12-year-old daughter, I hope that in 15 years, whether she decides to play or not, things are better for her and my nieces and my nephews because of what we've gone and what we've said and how we know where we come from. So I am really grateful for the understanding of knowing what it's taken to get to this point. At that point, at 13, you were just deciding that you were going to pursue basketball because it wasn't a given. When you decide to give basketball a go in high school, how did your father motivate you? You know, little did I know that he was, and both my parents were, they were little by little challenging me to find ways to motivate myself. I think the lessons that I remember the most is, you know, everybody starts middle school and the workload is a lot more in middle school. Like, you know, you go from elementary where everybody's holding your hands to now middle school where, you know, it's just like, do this homework. And I remember being overwhelmed. My dad was like, all right, I came home. I was like, I'm not doing homework anymore. Like, I'm done. I'm going to sleep. It's nine o'clock. It's over, whatever. And my dad was like, all right, cool. And I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> and so like the next morning I got up and I, I did my work and he came down to the table and he was like, it wasn't me that motivated you. Like it was you. And so he's like, it's my job to provide that, to really encourage you to motivate yourself. And I think with basketball, when I started, basketball is a metaphor for life. So 
at 13 years old, I saw all the possibilities in the world. And I don't know. I just, I feel like basketball kind of chose me. Wasn't your father initially a little skeptical about kind of taking you under his wing? Because you have two other brothers. And this quote from your mom, Sarah, she says, I told her dad, in order to have the same opportunities as her brothers, you need to coach. There's no one that's going to be able to give her the basic fundamentals that you can. You need to coach her like you did your sons. I really am, am grateful because I grew up in a household. It was encouraged that I be treated as Candace. And there weren't different curfews. The car rides homes from games. I'll never forget this. Uh, I played on a traveling soccer team. And I don't want to call the girl out. I don't want to say her last name, but her, her first name was Molly. She played on our soccer team. And Molly barely touched the ball, barely played. And she scored one goal all year. And at this point in time, like, I was the leading scorer on the team. I played well. And after games, my dad would, we would drive home and my dad would be like, you did this, this, and this during this time. And I'd, I'd have like five goals. And I was looking like, dad, I have five goals. Like, why are you still lecturing me? Molly scored this one particular day and her dad put her on her shoulders and like carried her off the field. And like, they're going to get ice cream. They're saying all this stuff. And I was pointing at Molly and I was like, dad, what the hell? Molly scores one goal. Why is it that she's getting carried off the court, you know, carried off the field and she gets ice cream and all these things? And he's like, I don't care if your best is better than everyone else. If your best is not your best, like we're failing you. And he's like, everybody measures themselves by others. And he's like, sometimes it's lowering yourself. It's lowering your value. It's lowering what you can accomplish by saying, well, it's good enough for, for everybody else. And I just remember just being like, but like, why does Molly get ice cream? <laughs> But now I completely understand, like, he's right. Like, sometimes, you know, you, you bullshit in a class and you get a B and compared to everybody else, you did well. But really, did you do what you were supposed to? As a mother of a 12-year-old, I've been told that you won't let your daughter score more than one or two points in a pickup basketball game. So I'm curious how much of your father's ideas around excellence and competition have rubbed off on you? And for people listening, Candace has been shaking her head since I started that question. I'm shaking my head because I did not win as a kid. Like my childhood was spent, like my brothers were so much older than me. My parents and my brothers would play 21 or they would shoot horse. And then I would come in at halftime and be able to get up a couple shots. And, you know, we'd play Sega Genesis and my brother may let me score one goal an entire summer in FIFA soccer. Like that's just how it was. So it's like, I want my daughter to have that competitive edge. I feel like life is a competition and it's not negative. You know, it's pushing you to be better and it's pushing you to be greater. And I thrive in competition because of my childhood. My daughter is not me. You know, she isn't the most competitive. I have to sometimes show her <laughs> competition in other ways. I can tell it eats at you a little bit. It's crazy because you have this vision uh, when you have kids that they're going to just be exactly like you. I joke with my sister-in-law, she grew up in dance and, you know, all this stuff. And now her sons play basketball and my niece plays basketball. And then you have me and my daughter wants to do acro and hip hop dance. You know, it's just, I love her, but you know, I, I got to spark that in other ways if we're not going to do it within basketball. Where are you at when it comes to this participation trophy era? Layla tried to bring home one of her little participation trophies and put it in the family trophy case, like next to my MVP trophy. <laughs> and I was like, 
you got to be kidding. Like, you got to find someplace else for that. First of all, you should be glad I even let you bring it in the house. Second of all, <laughs> like, no, we're not doing that. I am trying, I am trying as an individual to learn and grow and listen. Because I saw, I saw something on Instagram the other day. And it's like this mommy group that I belong to. And it was like, you know, I took my son to camp and he's really fast at running. And I noticed on this specific day during this camp, he wasn't running hard. And she's like, and I'm just so proud of him because he said, you know, he wanted the other kids to run as fast as him. And so he let them win. And I was like, no, like, <laughs> like I'm not there yet. So I'm trying to listen and grow and, you know, listen to this generation of parenting. But it's it's tough for me. I wonder because you are such a remarkable athlete and there has been this larger almost generational conversation in the last month around Simone Biles and Naomi Osaka about mental health and competition, both of whom have made the rare decision to prioritize their well-being first and foremost. In The New Yorker, the gymnast Allie Raisman, a two-time Olympian and former teammate of Biles, said, gold medals shouldn't be the most important thing. How have you been processing this dialogue in the last month? You know, I think that's the biggest thing is all of us having these conversations around it. And I don't think that there's any, just like there's no blueprint that they handed me when I'm parenting or there's no blueprint for your career. You know, everyone has to do what's best for them. And I will honestly say, things might be a little different for me if I didn't have my daughter. I had my daughter at 23. And up until I was 23, basketball was the most important thing to me in the entire world. I ate, I slept, I breathed basketball, and my emotions were impacted based off of basketball. So for me, I do think that people should do what's best for them. But I think we need to continue to have these conversations surrounding mental illness and mental health. I think it's important. And I think that there is a generation shift that many that were born in the 80s, you know, early 90s, it's different. I played for a coach that was very challenging. Played for a coach that would yell and scream and wanted to bring the best out of you, would make you run till you threw up, all of those things. Would she be able to do that now? I don't know. As times change, I think people have to change. But at the end of the day, I do think it is important to do what's best for you. And that definition just seems to be changing from person to person. Looking back, I've, I've had a number of injuries in my career. A bunch of knee surgeries, some shoulder surgeries. If I can be on the court, I'm going to be on the court, you know? And I think that my body has suffered as a result of that. So in retrospect, there are a number of times where I wish I would have waited. I came back from ACL playing basketball in five months. You know, I the next year I had total knee reconstruction and I came back really early from that. So I think that I'm learning as well. And this can be related to, you know, mental health. This can re be related to whatever you're struggling with. I'm learning um, from these conversations because I think sometimes we're not very patient. We're not very patient with ourselves, especially. You've heard this for years, especially from Olympian uh, athletes, but you've heard from Simone Biles and Naomi Osaka saying that the, the mounting pressure of social media, which has just totally upended the landscape of being a professional athlete, as you know, as I was reading about both of these women deciding to do what they felt was best for themselves, I couldn't help but think back on an article that was written about you in 2003. This is before you play a single game at the University of Tennessee. 
This is what they wrote in Sports Illustrated. They said, is Candace Parker, mind you, you're 18 years old. You've not played one game of college basketball. They say, is Candace Parker the next step in the evolution of the female player or merely the rare specimen that comes along once in a generation, the modern day Cheryl Miller? And I read that and I thought, wow, how does it? 18-year-old, just-finished high school student going to Tennessee now to play under the legendary Pat Summit. How the hell do you carry that load? I will say it is a lot easier to carry the load in a team sport than it is in an individual sport. I can only imagine the feeling of being alone because I feel like some, to some extent throughout my career, you have times where you feel alone and by yourself. And I can't imagine not having teammates or other voices going through kind of similar circumstances throughout the year. The advice I got when I was 18 before I even got to college was from the late, great Pat Summit, And she talked about if you chase people and passion in your life, you will never fail. And fortunately enough, I started early enough chasing people and passion. And I have an amazing circle of people, a village to help with my daughter, Friends that I can call up and we don't even have to say anything. They know exactly what I'm feeling and what my emotions are, what I'm going through. And I'm passionate. I've been fortunate to be passionate about what I do. And then also, I said earlier, I had my daughter and it changed the way that I looked at life. I no longer thought basketball was the be all end all. And I think it's important for athletes to understand the who is way different from the what. Like the what I am, I'm a TV broadcaster. I, you know, I play basketball. I'm with Adidas. You know, I'm all of these things on television, all that. But the who, I'm a mom. You know, I am a sister. I am like, I'm a friend. I'm a brother. I'm a teammate. Like all of those things are so important to me. So I think from a very early age, I understood that I am not defined by how many baskets I score. And I have other interests. Like I love history. I love going to museums. I love traveling. I love dogs. Like, there's all these other things and all these other outlets that allow me to be okay when things don't go well. We'll be right back after a quick break. Hello, hello. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisions History. In my book, David and Goliath, I tried to figure out how some people find the strength to take on the established way of thinking and turn it upside down. What does it take to be a disruptor? And I concluded that a disruptor is someone with a rare combination of three traits. First, you have to be open. You have to be willing to see and do things in new ways. Secondly, you have to be conscientious, to follow through and make things happen. Those two are obvious, but the third one is the crucial one. You have to be willing to do what you think is right, even when everyone around you thinks you're an idiot. There isn't a brilliant innovator in history who wasn't surrounded by naysayers. Most of us can't take that kind of criticism and we fold, but the disruptor doesn't. They soldier on. I've been looking at disruptors and their success stories a lot lately, partly because I'm working on a follow-up to the tipping point, and market disruption plays a key role in how ideas take off but also because I'm going to be the keynote speaker at this year's unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business. It's an event where customers are recognized for kicking convention to the curb to elevate their company, while also doing meaningful things for their community and even the world. 
In fact, I'll be presenting the first ever Tipping Point designation, a new special distinction honoring one entrant that sparked transformative change for their organization. If this event sounds like your thing, I encourage you to find out more or even enter the unconventional awards to be recognized for your disruptive thinking. Win a donation to a charity of your choice and much more. You can enter before July 31st at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. That's tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. I'll save you a seat. Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Join hosts Ben Walter, CEO of Chase for Business, and Tanya Nebo, a lawyer and business consultant, on these storytelling journeys of trials, tribulations, and triumphs that hinged on a single event, a split-second decision, or even a stroke of luck. Whether the story is about a warehouse going up in flames or a former partner stealing a whole roster of clients, each episode will showcase the grit, determination, and resourcefulness a small business owner needed to turn a pivotal situation into a springboard for success. Listen to The Unshakables now and learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A., member FDIC. Copyright 2024, J.P. Morgan Chase & Company. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. But let's go to a moment where things do go well because in 2008, you're drafted into the WNBA. In your first season, you win... Rookie of the Year and MVP, making you the first player ever to do that. And then, after that historic debut year, you have your child. I know having a kid took a real physical toll on you, probably a mental one, too. How do you get on the other side of that difficult period? Well, there's a moment, I think, going back even before that, that kind of changed my life and changed the way that I looked at difficult situations. I said earlier, I, I tore my ACL in high school. Fast forward, I'm at Tennessee, I played, I came back too early. I'm hard-headed, I'm stubborn, I'll admit it. And I came back too early and ended up doing more damage to my knee. So I had to have an exploratory surgery to see what was going on. They thought maybe meniscus, could be three months, could be three weeks, like we'll see. Well, I wake up and I see like tears in my parents' eyes the doctor is kind of like irritated and rushed and Pat's there and she's crying and, you know, I'm asking him what's going on. And so my dad's like, you know, we should tell her and Pat and my mom are like, let's wait until she fully wakes up. You know, we don't want to have to do this again. And so they basically told me like, you, it's not good. Like you might not play basketball anymore. I remember being crushed. I kept saying, why me? Why is this happening to me? you know, how am I going to overcome this? Like, what's going on? 
So we get ourselves together. It's outpatient. I'm going to have to have another surgery, but we get ourselves together. We go to the hotel my parents are staying at. And I'm crying. I'm all upset. My dad's asking me, like, what do you want for dinner? And I, I, I'm a mess. And I remember my dad grabbed me and he took me into the bathroom and he made me look at myself crying. And he said, you can have a pity party tonight, but tomorrow you wake up and you attack this. He said, you never know what you're capable of until you actually do it or you actually try. You know, it was that moment that like, I made a commitment, you know, to myself, regardless of how it worked out, I was going to do my best. I was going to try, I was going to rehab and I was going to set goals. And so I think when I have bumps in the road, I had a journal that I wrote down all my feelings because I think it's so important, even when we're on top and we've come so far, you can remember how you felt where you were going through those low points. So I had a journal and I wrote all the way through. I set goals short-term and long-term. I mean, I, I have goals written down from, I'm gonna get my knee to 50 degrees. I'm gonna get my knee to 80 degrees, you know? And it's the same thing when I was pregnant. You know, I worked out every day. Friday was my cheat day. I pulled up to In-N-Out, Wendy's, and McDonald's on Friday. That was my day to reward myself. And then I set new goals. You went to all three of them on the same day? I got, you know, my cheeseburger from McDonald's. Actually, no, I got my French fries from McDonald's, my cheeseburger from In-N-Out, and then I got the Frosty from Wendy's. That's exactly it. Yep, that was my Friday. So I, that was my reward. That is cherry picking the best of all three of those places. And I would pull up and they would be like, the norm, it's Friday. And I'd be like, yep. <laughs> <laughs> when your dad's telling you, you can cry tonight, but tomorrow, I don't want to see this. Is there any part of you that's like, I don't know if I can? Yeah, I think it's scary. I think anybody that's going into a situation um, or an obstacle at hand, you don't have definitive proof that at that moment you're going to be able to overcome this. Like, yeah, you're scared, but I'm more scared of not trying. And I, I'm more scared of getting in the habit of not trying. Like, I've been sick the last couple of days, and so, like, laying on the couch has gotten easier. It's gotten so much easier to just lay on the couch, watch television. It's hard to get motivated to do anything. But it's like the same thing. Like, you get in the habit of just saying, ah, can't do it, don't want to get up today, you know, type of thing. And so I would be rather be the one that goes down swinging, uh, especially when people tell me I can't do something. Like, that's the motivating factor. When people are like, ah, you can't. And I've figured my family out because my family will tell me I can't do something, but I know they just want me to do it. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm sure there were a lot of people after you have your kid. Again, right when you come into the league and you are just breaking records here, people are saying, I can't believe you're having a kid. How could you do this? You're never going to reach those heights again. I nursed my daughter for 15 months because I wanted to nurse her. And I wanted, I didn't want to sacrifice one for the other. I didn't want to be a great athlete and sacrifice being a mom. And I didn't want to be a fantastic mom and sacrifice being a great athlete. I wanted both. And so when people said, I don't think you're going to be able to get to that, it meant they didn't think I was going to be able to come out and play well in the second half after nursing my daughter at halftime. Like they didn't think that I was going to be able to bring a kid overseas and still play or get up for a playoff game after she's up all night. For me, it just, it reaffirmed what I've seen. I mean, I, I have so many strong women around me that have done just what I've done. 
And I think it really made me want to focus more and be more disciplined so that I could do both. Throughout the 2000s, you do do both. And I think exceptionally well. You're raising a daughter. You're back playing after having a kid in the WNBA. In 2011, you go play overseas. In Russia, you do very well. They pay you much better. They treat you much better. I'm adding that. You don't have to say it. I'm going to add it for you. (laughs) It's true. It is true. Then comes 2016. And in my understanding of you, there's so much that happens in this year. It's the kind of year that you don't forget. There's an exclusion from the Olympics team at the summer in which your mentor, the late Pat Summit, passes away. And then you find yourself in a finals game. And that's something I wanted to watch with you for a moment. <laughs> I see what you're trying to do here. Trying to make me cry. I'm not trying to do anything. <laughs> this is a clip from game five of the 2016 WNBA Finals between the LA Sparks and the Minnesota Lynx. LA has won that battle. Minnesota has won the rebounding battle. That's been pretty consistent throughout the series. Parker in rhythm, got it to go, and much less hesitation on that attempt from three than what we've seen so far in this series. It's not. Parker has to put it up. It connects. Parker on the move to the rim, lays it up and in. Candace Parker is possessed tonight. That's it. The L.A. Sparks have slain the Mighty Lynx. They are your 2016 WNBA champions. Well, the hugs are continuing here as Neko Gumite tells Candace Parker that this win is for you. Candace. Good job, Candace. All the personal and professional disappointments this year. What does this moment mean to you? This is for Pat. This is for Pat. Yep, trying to get me to cry. <laughs> We were watching the finals the other day. My daughter asked, like, why is everybody crying? You know, like, this is a happy moment. Why is everybody crying? But I think you immediately remember all of the things that you have overcome to get to that moment. You remember all the people that helped you. And I think within that moment, 2016 was a tough year. But in some ways, it was just like, I owe it to Coach Summit for everything that she has taught me and everything that she's continuing to teach me. I think I was really crying because I think things show, like I believe in energy and signs and all of that. And I think life is funny sometimes. Like we won a championship on an offensive rebound put back. Coach Summit, my entire career screamed at me to go offensive rebound. It's one of those moments where I am so grateful for who she was. I think it was those moments where I raise the trophy, but it's the moments that were really tough that I'm really more grateful for. I have to say, like, I've watched that clip a lot. Even now, I I don't know why it produces so much emotion in me, but I I think, this is my interpretation, after having watched it like it's the Zapruder film, (laughs) it looks like someone exhaling. It looks like a year of a professional slight. I know you had some personal splitting up with your partner, a mentor passing, finally winning a title. And you're right, it's a moment of celebration, and yet it feels like a moment of release. I think at that moment, it was proof that I'll bend. 
and I'll stretch, but I won't break. I think it it reaffirmed my belief in who I've been brought up to be. You know, I think in those moments, I don't remember stats. I don't remember plays, but I remember the faces and I remember the people. It was definitely a an exhale and a relief, but it also just like, if I can inspire one person, like Coach Summit did for me, like just one person, you know, I think everybody goes out there to like inspire millions of people. And it's like, if you can have an impact on one person's life and their trajectory and what they believe and how they go about things on a daily basis, like you're impacting so much. I think it was that moment, like I realized just how special Coach Summit is. Can you explain to those listening what she means to you in this moment? Coach Summit is that for many is considered the best coach, not male, not female, the, one of the best all-time coaches that there has been in sports. Period. Period. And a lot of people remember her for the championships that she's won eight, for the wins that she's had. But I remember her jalapeno corn that she cooked for us. I remember when my parents split up my freshman year, her just opening her office door and saying, come eat your lunch in here. You don't have to talk, but you're going to know that somebody's there. Like, I remember when I was pregnant with my daughter, calling her and her the next day sending all this Tennessee gear that got there on my door the next day and saying, you're going to be a great mom. Like, I remember all of those other moments. And so Coach Summit is a reminder constantly to, one, be the change that you want other people to be. And two, we live in a world of do as I do, not as I say. And Coach Summit, everything that she expected from us, she did herself. And she always preached relationships. And relationships was the number one thing in her life. If you were with her talking at that moment, you felt like you were the only person that existed in the world to her. You felt like you were the most important thing to her. So much so that like her autograph was perfect. You know how athletes draw their autograph? Like I scribbled it and like whatever. And then the next day I came in and she's sitting there meticulously writing out Pat Summit perfect because she wanted the person that was getting the autograph to know that she cared and she put in her time. You know how people are like, okay, what would so-and-so do in this situation? Or that's my what would Pat do in this situation? Yeah, she's like the moral compass. She was fond of saying right foot, left foot, breathe, repeat. Yep, got it tattooed on my arm. And even as she got sick, I know you visited her. What did that look like to see someone that you've long admired, who taught you so much, placed by no doing of her own in a situation that she could not beat? It's interesting because there's a number of people out there during wins, you see them, you know, you see them saying this message and Twitter has allowed us to kind of chronicle people's success. And, you know, and sometimes you see that change based off of the circumstance. And I must say her same message, her same mentality, her same left foot, right foot, breathe, repeat. It was the same when she was winning eight championships, eight national championships. And it was the same when she was battling Alzheimer's. And to be able to see that firsthand, you know, like, because when you as yourself are going through things and someone tells you, you know, left foot, right foot, breathe, repeat, and they're winning championships, cutting down nets, 
But then to see someone go through what they went through and keep the same mentality, that for me, I'll, I'll never forget the first time I talked to her, she said, you, you can throw a pity party. You're going to be the only one at it. I think the amount of impact that she's had with sports is, has been unbelievable, but the amount of impact that she, she's had in awareness around Alzheimer's has been even more. And so, I, I, you know, although we say she didn't beat Alzheimer's, I think she impacted it. And to me, that's, that's way more important. It's funny. She says to you, no one's going to be at your pity party. The same thing your father says to you as you tear your ACL before playing a single college game. And I do wonder now that you're back home in Chicago and you have, I don't know how many seasons left, but I would say you have less seasons than the amount that you've played. A thousand percent, yes. Is that a fair thing to say? Oh, that is way, yes, that's way fair to say. You're back home in Chicago and I'm imagining you now at 35 with your daughter at home. The season will be resuming by the time this airs. You're driving into the city to play. I wonder if the full circle-ness of it all has weighed on you in this homecoming. It's been a while since I've been home. I was 18 when I left here. And it's a full circle moment for so many different reasons and ways. You know, I think I have friends that have become family in L.A. and in Knoxville and Russia and wherever I've been. But to be at home, and I know it's the simplest things, but that's what I love the most. My mom made me pregame meals. She cooked for me during training camp. My dad came over and fixed our blinds. Our blinds wouldn't work, and he came over and fixed them so I could have darkening shades in my room. Like, it's those little things that I value and care about the most. Just being able to drive past something and show my daughter, like, that's where mommy used to fill in the blank. It's like constant nostalgia. Like it's just constantly. And I can't even describe the feeling, but I'm just so happy I came back home. And I think it's worth noting because I grew up in Chicago. And as you know... Oh, Pertillo's? Sorry, I got to ask. Pertillo's? Do you like Pertillo's? I, I think about it once a week, minimum, living in Los Angeles. Um, it's very painful. And, and in fact, to do that to me on a podcast when I haven't had any food. Sorry. No, it's okay. We're going to move past it. So sorry. So sorry. <laughs> <laughs> People are listening like, what the hell is Pertillo's? I'm telling you, just try it. It's so good. I can answer the question. It's happiness. Oh, it is. Ugh. But many athletes that grow up in Chicago, Derek Rose being one of the few exceptions, make it a point to not play in Chicago. And there's a reason for that, which is that Chicago fans, a little difficult, and you've decided to do it. I love that aspect. Like, Chicago fans care. I grew up in the 90s where it was like, wait, the Bulls didn't win a championship this year? Like, they're slacking, you know? I grew up in Goat No More in 04, the Cubs. Like, I love it. I think that there's passion with criticism. There's passion with caring enough to criticize. I'm a diehard Bears fan, and I joke that I came back here to justify why I make my daughter be a Chicago fan. Like, now she can at least say she lived in Chicago for two years because she doesn't understand why she's cheering for the Bears and why she cannot wear Dodger clothes to school in L.A. 
she has to wear Chicago Cubs stuff. She didn't. She doesn't understand, but now she does. <laughs> As we leave, you're at a bit of an inflection point right now. And so I thought on record, I'd love to have a memory of where you're at August 2021. If your daughter were to listen to this years from now, what would you like her to know about who you are in this moment and who you'd like to be? I want to tell Layla a lot, but I want to show her even more. I would tell her that I'm versatile. I don't like putting all my eggs in one basket, meaning I really encourage her to understand the importance of being able to talk to a wide variety of people, being able to meet them somewhere, like meet them with some type of similarity. I think respect is um, a big part of what I try to do on a daily basis. And I mean respect. Yes, I, I'm super stubborn and I kind of am outspoken. So I know some people are probably like, respect, can it? Like what? But I mean in understanding and meeting people and who they are and what they do on a daily basis. And then who I wish to become, I, I hope to continue to grow. Like I think when we stop growing, we stop having conversations, we stop wanting to evolve that's when like life is over. So I want to constantly like evolve. Like I want to be the 65 year old that just tries something new. You know, I want to like pick up something at 65 and hopefully do it with my grandkids. But yeah, hopefully at this point when Layla hears this in 20 years, we will have been to so many different places in the world and experienced so many different types of people. And on that subject of retirement, you said this, I'm going to know I'm going to wake up one day and that's going to be it. For now, I'm focused on the present day. And so this day, how do you feel? I'll tell you this. It's not the games. It's not those big moments that go first. It's the preparation. And you know you're not falling in love with the process and you're not where you need to be when you cannot get up on a random Thursday and have yourself work out to be great for those moments. So on this present day, I can get up and still motivate myself to go out today and work out after this podcast and prepare for the moments. But when that time comes where I cannot motivate myself to go get up extra shots or go work out when I know I need to, that's when I'm like, sub, like my time's up. Sub me out. That's it. Well, I don't look forward to that day, but when it happens, I have faith in whatever you decide to do next. And I just want to thank you for coming on this show. I'm sure it was a different kind of conversation than you're used to having, but I hope you had fun. No, I've enjoyed this. I love, I love this. I really do. I love it. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Well, next time we'll do it in person. Let's do it. LA with some Pratillos. <laughs> Can you bring that from Chicago? I got you. <laughs> oh, I got you. I need your order. I got you. Candace Parker. Thank you very much. Thank you. That's our show. Special thanks this week to Court Barrett and Nora Carblum, and of course, Candace Parker. 
After 12 years of playing for the LA Sparks, Parker has returned to her hometown to play for the Chicago Sky. You can watch the back half of their season starting today. May she bring our city of Chicago a title. You can also listen to her new podcast, Moments with Candace Parker, wherever you do your listening. You can learn more about our program at talkeasypod.com. That's talkeasypod.com. If you'd like to join our mailing list, drop me a line at talkeasypod at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at talkeasypod. And as always, our executive producer is Janixa Bravo. Our associate producers are Caitlin Dryden and Nikki Spina. Our editor for today's episode is Caitlin Dryden. Our assistant editors are Eve Gershon, Clarice Guevara, and Joshua Siegel. Our illustrations are by Krisha Shenoy. Video and graphics by Ian Chang, Derek Gaberzak, Orion Wong, Ian Jones, Isabel Primavera, and Ethan Seneca. Special thanks to Callie Syringus, Kayla Ung, Patrice Lee, and Grace Perkins. And the show is produced by Caroline Reebok. I'm Sam Fragoso. Thank you for listening to Talk Easy. We're back next week with Porna Jagannathan. Until then, stay safe and so long. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored among some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Smart journalism. Fascinating topics. Words that describe CNN's podcast, The Assignment with Audie Cornish. Last year, the Army missed its recruitment goal. It had 65,000 spots to fill and came up 10,000 short of that target. Why is it so hard to recruit? How's the Pentagon responding? And how are the voices of service members on social media shifting the balance? Listen to The Assignment with Audie Cornish wherever you get your podcasts.